going to be in Acts chapter 20 together this morning. It is a beautiful Lord's Day. We are together. We are grateful to the Lord. And this is the basis of our worship to Him. Showing Him our gratitude. Of course, not just for a beautiful day. But for the wonderful blessings of salvation in Christ. So in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 7, we're going to focus on this meeting in Troas. This meeting in Troas. Paul and Tychicus, Gaius, and other traveling companions out spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus. They are coming now to Troas. They have been many places. Paul is now on his uh, third missionary campaign coming to a close of the third missionary campaign, and now they come to Troas, and they have a wonderful meeting in Troas. We're going to focus on this meeting, this meeting that they have in Troas. So let's get ready. Here we go. Notice, first of all, the time of the meeting, the time of the meeting. Of course, it is a Lord's Day meeting. It is the first day of the week. Luke records here, that they came together on the first day of the week. The first day of the week, Sunday, is a very precious day to Christians. And there are several reasons for this. We've gone over this uh, many times, but it's always good to review this uh, rather quickly. But the day of the first day, the first day of the week, is precious to us. First of all, because of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead. On this first day of the week. If you look at your Bible. And Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You look at the resurrection chapters. Look at Matthew 28 and verse 1. You look at Mark 16 and verse 9. You look at Luke 24 and verse 1. And you look at John chapter 20 and verse 1. You see that Jesus rose early on that first day of the week. And that several of the women disciples who followed him. Came to that tomb early on the first day of the week, and they found that tomb uh, to be empty, to be empty. And so because Jesus is ra- was raised on the first day of the week, this day then has become very precious to those who follow him. In fact, it, the resurrection of Jesus is really the foundation of our faith. Jesus predicted that he would be raised from the dead. If you look over to Matthew chapter 16 and 21, Jesus told his disciples that he would need to go to Jerusalem and there he would suffer. He would suffer at the hands of the rulers there and then he would be crucified. But then also that he would be raised on that third day. So he predicted this would happen. Later Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 19, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 19, he says, if Christ be not raised, then we are yet in our sins. If there is no resurrection from the dead, Uh, Paul says that we are yet in our sins and that our faith is vain and our preaching is vain and everything is just lost. But Jesus was raised from the dead. And so the first day of the week is precious because of that. It's also precious because this is a day uh, upon which the church was established. If you look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 explains to us that it was on the day of Pentecost that the church was established. Pentecost means 50. It means 50. The Jewish festival of Pentecost came 50 days after the Sabbath of the Passover. Okay. And so if you look back uh, and read about that in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 and 16, 
uh, you see that Pentecost was to happen at that time. And so if you look back to Leviticus 23, 15 and 16, you see that they count seven weeks. They, what the writer there is saying to do, he says, if you'll look at the day after Sabbath, which would be the first day of the week, if you look at the day after the Sabbath, and then count seven weeks, which would be 49 days from the first day to from, from Passover to Pentecost. So if you look there, what they say is, they said, look at the day after Sabbath and then count seven weeks and you've got Pentecost. And Pentecost always came on the first day of the week. And God chose that day upon which to establish his church. And that was a tremendous day. The Holy Spirit came upon the apostles on that day, which qualified Peter and the rest of the apostles to stand up and tell the truth about Jesus, to tell about the plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. People responded to Peter's message when Peter said, you must repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins in Acts 2.38. Many responded to that. Uh, 3,000 souls were added on that day. To those who were glad to receive his word were added, you know, were baptized and were added uh, to that. About 3,000 souls, Acts 2.41. It was a tremendous day. And so because the church was established on the first day of the week, then it, it's very precious to Christians. Now also, it's precious to us today because the early church met on that day. Here, the congregation, here in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, the congregation in Troas is meeting on that day. If you turn over to 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, you read that the church at Corinth was meeting on that day. And so the churches began meeting, uh, and it became special to them, so it's special to us uh, today. And then one other thought about the first day of the week is over in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, John received his communication from the Lord. He received his messages for the seven churches of Asia there on the first day of the week. Well, John says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, Revelation 1, verse 10. That's what he said. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and the Lord spoke to me and said, write these messages in a book. Okay. Now you say, well, how do you know that's the Lord's day? How do you know that's the first day of the week? When John says Lord's Day, how do you know that's the first day of the week? Well, basically, what other day could it be? It couldn't be the Sabbath day because the old law was nailed to the cross, Colossians 2, 14 to 17, and the old law contained the Sabbath day, so it couldn't be the Sabbath day. It couldn't be the second coming of the Lord. Sometimes the second coming of the Lord is called the day of the Lord. If you look at 2 Peter 3, in verse 10, so it couldn't be the second coming of the Lord because we're all here. We're all here. When Jesus comes again, the world will be no more and a lot of things change and this world is destroyed and, and um, we go to judgment before God and then our, our eternal uh, destinies are determined and, and so forth. So we're all here, so it can't be that day. And it really can't be just an ordinary day that John's talking about, even though... Even though every day is from God. There's no doubt about it. If we look at Colossians 1, 16 and 17, we read about Jesus and how that in him all things were created. But then in Colossians 1, 17, it says Jesus is before all things and in him all things consist. In him all things consist. In other words, in Jesus all things are held together. It includes life. It includes the universe. Uh, further, in Hebrews 1, verse uh, 3, it says that, that the entire universe is upheld by the word of his power. The word of Jesus' power uh, upholds the, 
the entire life that we know of here on earth. So every day is a blessing from God. In Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Every day is a blessing from God. But the Lord's day, the first day of the week, became very precious uh, to the Christians. Now, as precious as it was, they did not, in those early days, during the days of the New Testament, during the days of the apostles, they did not elevate one Lord's day, one first day of the week, over any other Lord's day throughout the year. Every first day of the week. In fact, if you look over to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, and especially if you look in a couple of translations that bring out every word from the original, this one here that I'm holding here, the, the English Standard Version, okay, it translates it properly. It says that the early church, the church of Corinth, they came together on the first day of every week. Every week. Sometimes the word every week is not, not translated over, but it ought to be. It ought to be. Okay. And so the early Christians met together on the first day of every week. And as precious as that was, they never elevated or exalted one Sunday over another Sunday throughout the year. God just says come together on a weekly basis. Now, one thing that we have a problem, I say we human beings, we're very stingy with our time. Wednesday evening we were studying together about modern idolatry. And Brother Kim brought out that sometimes our own time, the time that we're giving, becomes an idol to us because we're very stingy with it and we don't want to give it to God. Well, one thing God has said about our time, he says, he says, I want you to come together on the Lord's day. And I want you to understand how that is pictured there. How, notice how that is said there in Revelation 1 verse 10. It's the Lord's day. It's not the Lord's hour. Okay? It's not the Lord's 90 minutes. It's the Lord's day. The Lord, today is the Lord's day in a very precious way. And we ought to be very generous with our time to the Lord because this is, in a very special way, in a precious sense, this is His day. His day. With our youth this, this morning, we were talking about wisdom. And the example of Solomon, an example of other places in the Bible about wisdom. One place that we read about wisdom is Psalm 90 and verse 10, where it says, there's sort of a prayer there. It says, Lord, teach me to number my days, that I may apply my heart unto wisdom. And the Lord wants us to look at our, our time and make sure we're doing the wisest thing possible with our time. Well, He has brought up, He has established, He has put together the Lord's Day meeting, and we must be very generous with our time when the Lord says, I'll come together. So first, notice the time of the meeting here at Troas. Okay, in the second place, notice the purpose of the meeting. The purpose of the meeting is stated very clearly. In fact, notice there it says they came together to break bread. To break bread. In other words, to partake of the Lord's uh, communion. The Lord's communion. That's a statement of purpose. The way it's put together there, that's a statement of intent or purpose. They came together to uh, break bread. We say, well... Um, we're going to the park today in order to ride bicycles. Okay, that would be a statement of purpose. That's the same type of statement made here. They came together. What brought them together? Well, remembering 
the Lord's death brings us together on the first day of the week. It's not that God hasn't authorized these other parts of worship. He has for singing, praying, and giving, and, and discussing scripture. He has authorized these parts of worship. But what brings us together is the partaking of the communion uh, emblems, the, the, the Lord's Supper uh, itself. And this makes good sense because God has three components in mind as He brings salvation to us and as we remember that salvation, there are three huge components. Okay? And we look at those and we observe those and we meditate upon these as we take the communion. The first component is the Lord's body. The Lord's body, which He gave for our sins. Okay. Galatians 1 verse 4 says, He gave Himself up for our sins. Okay. And then there's the Lord's blood, which is shed for our cleansing, the, the remission, for the remission of our sins, for the cleansing of our sins. It's through His blood, the giving of that blood, that we're able to have the hope of, of salvation. And then there's the Lord's day. The Lord's day. So the Lord's body the Lord's blood, and the Lord's day all go together on the same occasion. You can't break that up because the Lord has established these as being very important uh, to our religion. Now, since this is the case, we read that every time the early church met on the first day of the week, they took communion. And since they met every week, first day of every week, so therefore they took the communion on the first day of every uh, week. And since this is the case, then if you come together, or if a religious body comes together on the first day and does not take the communion, then they haven't done right. Their, Their worship has become vain. And then to try to get together as a religious body and partake of the communion on any other day other than the first day also makes our worship in vain because God has these three components in mind the the Lord's body, the Lord's blood on the Lord's uh, day so therefore it's precious to us to be able to come together on the first day of every week and celebrate Jesus his suffering and his death, his burial his resurrection, his life on earth his ascension up on high his beautiful example and All the marvelous events of his life all pertain to our salvation. And we celebrate all of that every first day of the week. That's the Lord's message to us. Now notice here that there is a little use of the English language here that's that's interesting to us. It's it's common to us. It's, it's, It's when we put a part for the whole. Notice, he says they came together to break bread. Well, we do this. We often, as we speak to each other and communicate to each other, we, we, do, we do the part of something that represents the whole of something. Okay. Um, somebody might say, uh, he asked her hand in marriage. Okay. Well, we know what that means. The hand in marriage is representing the, the lady he's asking uh, to marry uh, him. Somebody might say, well, he got himself a new set of wheels. Well, we know what that means. He got some kind of new uh, vehicle. We, we use a part for the whole all, all the time. Okay. Uh, 
boots on the ground at least used to mean that there is a, has been a military invasion or there's, a, there's military uh, presence somewhere on some piece of land. And so here, using common language, common human language, uh, Luke is saying when they came together to break bread, that means they came together to partake all the emblems and observe and meditate uh, the Lord's Supper like we'll have the opportunity to do here in just a few minutes. See. They also, uh, the Bible writers did this um, in other places. Like Acts 2.42, Luke records that the early church continued, early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of the bread and in the prayers. But when you think about the plan of salvation, this is often uh, the case as well. Now, reading through the New Testament, we see that, that to be saved from our sins initially from, from the Lord, based on His grace, we, we first we've got to have faith. Okay? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Uh, we read also that repenting, turning away from sin is is vital to our soul's condition. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall perish. Luke 13, verse uh, 3. Confessing our faith in Christ is also important. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And of course, being immersed in water, being baptized uh, for the remission of sins, Acts 2, 38. Oftentimes, as you read through the New Testament, they will use one of these, these parts of the plan of salvation to represent the whole, all of them. For example... Uh, Peter in 1 Peter 3.21 says, uh, The light figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Now baptism alone does not save us. Faith, repentance, confession saves us. Okay? A dedicated heart saves us. But baptism is, is, is a part for the whole, you see. It's saying one part to represent uh, all of it. Uh, Acts 16.31 uh, says that uh, Paul said to the, to the jailer, you know, to be saved. The jailer had asked, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, well, you've got to believe on the Lord with all your house. Okay. Well, that, that represents uh, the other things one must do in order to be saved. In Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, Paul says, um, with the heart we believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Okay. So again, look, notice how that confession is used as a part for the, for the whole of what God has in mind. So first of all here the meeting in Troas. We see the time of the meeting the first day of the week. We also see the purpose of the meeting. Uh, what brought them together uh, was the partaking of the communion uh, emblems, elements. Going back to this meeting now, let's look at the speech. The speech. The speech at this meeting. Paul spoke and Luke says here that as he spoke, he prolonged his speech unto midnight. The way Luke records this, it, it seems obvious to me that, that Paul and others did not always go this long with their sermons. Okay. And I'm sure the people were very grateful about that. Uh, but it seems on this occasion, Paul had determined to go an extra length with his sermon. And he talked on and on all the way up to midnight. He's actually, he was interrupted at midnight as he was, he was talking. We might ask, well, why would he do this? Well, Paul had an urgency in mind. Okay. For one thing, he was going to be leaving the next day. 
So all that he was going to be saying to these brothers and sisters in Christ, he needed to say on this occasion. And secondly, as he was bidding them farewell, he wanted to make sure that their souls were as well guarded as possible against the coming temptations that would be coming their way down the road. And the best way to guard against temptation, to guard against Satan, of course, is knowing more about God's work. We read in Psalm 119, for instance, in verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11. This simple statement. Thy word, Lord, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's what keeps us from sin. That's what guards us from Satan. That's what, that's what keeps us away from false ideals is having the word of God in our lives. James says it like this in James 1 and verse 21, putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, let us receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Let us receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. I would say that's why Paul prolonged his speech to midnight. He had an anxiety about um, what would become of the Christians um, once he left. He wanted to make sure that they stayed with uh, the word of God. We have that same anxiety today. We must be in the word. We must prioritize knowledge of God's word. We must put all the time that we can into learning more and reviewing more of his knowledge so that we can be guarded against, so we can be um, we can have a good shield of faith against those things of the devil. In the fourth place, though, going back to this meeting at Troas, let's notice the unusual, unusual incident that happens here at Troas. Okay. It's an unusual event happens. Let me ask you, what's, what do you remember as the most unusual thing that ever happened while you were at worship service? I'm sure if we just opened up the discussion, we would have a variety of things that would be told uh, to us. But here is something very unusual. The church is meeting in an upper room on the third floor. And it's later in the day. And there's a young man there by the name of Eutychus. And he is sitting in the window. And he becomes very sleepy becomes very sleepy. In fact, Luke uses two phrases here. He says, first, Eutychus began to sink into sleep. And then next, he says, uh, Eutychus was overcome with sleep. Now, experts today call this, uh, they say we do have two levels of sleep when we we sleep today. Um, They call it the REM Level. That's your dream stage. Uh, REM stands for rapid eye movement. That's, that's one level of sleep. That's probably the level of sleep most of us uh, sleep in. But there is a greater level of sleep if you ever get there. And that's when nothing's moving. Your eyes are not moving. You're not dreaming. You're just out. You're just out. I sleep that way one time a year. One time a year. The day after the lock-in. Okay. The Saturday after the lock-in... I know nothing. That's one time a year I actually get one good uh, day's sleep. Other than that, it's, I don't know. But, and you know what I mean by that. And you moms, you moms, 
Uh, bless your heart, you don't, you don't enter into very deep levels of sleep. But Eutychus, Eutychus uh, did on this occasion. What caused him to sleep, it probably was not the preaching. Okay. In fact, everybody here would agree it would not be the preaching that caused him to get sleepy. But there were lamps in that room. And, you know, I'm just kind of being facetious with you about it. It probably was the long, Paul did keep going on and on. It does say that there in the text. He just kept, as Eutychus slept, Paul just kept talking. But there were lamps up there, and and the lamps that they would use would be little clay vessels, and they would put olive oil in there, and then they would put fire to that, and there would be fumes. And so when you put that together with this preacher who would not be quiet, and then you've got later later in the day, and you're up in a third story place where it's kind of stuffy, then Eutychus went on to sleep rather deeply. And it says he fell out of the window. Fell all the way down to the ground. What a disturbance to that worship time. And they went down and they took him up as dead. They took him up dead. So he died immediately from this fall. You say, well, how do you know that he was dead? Well, here's how we know. Luke is doing the recording here. Luke is on the scene. According to Colossians 4 and verse 14... Luke was a medical doctor. He was the beloved physician. So we have a medical doctor, and he is on the scene. He's on site, and he sees what happened, and he pronounces him uh, dead. Now, you remember that movie, The Prince's Bride? And they take Wesley to this fellow called Miracle Max. Is it Miracle Max? And um, is well, is Wesley? Can Wesley come back to life? And and Miracle Max says, "Well, I've seen worse." He said, "He's mostly dead. He's mostly dead. He's not dead. He's mostly dead." Well, Luke knows the difference between someone being injured and someone actually being dead. Okay, look with me to uh, Acts chapter fourteen for uh, an example of that. Acts chapter fourteen. Look down to. Verse 19, and you'll probably see if you have headings in your Bible, Paul stoned at Lystra. Acts 14, 19, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, verse 20, he rose up, Paul did, and entered into the city on the next day he went on with Barnabas. Uh, to Derby, so Paul was was badly hurt, but Luke could see that he was supposed to be dead, but not dead. So Luke knows how to record something if somebody is looking like they might die, but not actually dead. But here he declares him dead. They go down, they see Eutychus, Acts twenty, and he's taken up dead. So the next thing is Paul comes down. Paul bends over him. He takes Eutychus into his arms, and then he looks to the crowd and he says, don't be alarmed, his life is in him. So what Paul did brought him back to life, you see. So we don't need to add to the Bible. Paul doesn't say his life is still in him. He just said his life is in him. This is a resurrection. God gave this power to the apostles in these early days. 
in order to establish what they were saying and to confirm their faith. And we can have that same confident faith today because we are relying on what is said here in God's Word. But this is exactly uh, what happened. So Paul brought him uh, back to life and presented him back alive. And it was a tremendous occasion. And so not only were they able to come together on this Lord's Day and partake of the Lord's uh, Supper, and not only able to be exhorted and to be lifted up by the word of Paul and his preaching, but also they were able to see in their eyes, before their very eyes, the power of God once again. And at the conclusion of this meeting, you see, they were not a little comforted. They were greatly comforted. Of course they were. Of course they were. So I wanted to carry you through this meeting this morning five different ways. Notice the time of the meeting, the purpose of it, the speech that was attached to the meeting. Notice this very unusual incident, this resurrection that happened that that lifted everybody's faith up. And then notice the conclusion is they were not a little comforted. If you think about it, these Christians on that day had in their mind three different resurrections. Certainly as they came to worship, they were thinking and focusing on the resurrection of Jesus. And then, secondly, they were able to see the resurrection of Eutychus and him brought back to life and the power of God right there before them. But most likely, Paul would further speak to them about Judgment Day. And how that on that day, there will be the ultimate resurrection where all our bodies will be brought back from the grave. And our bodies will be changed and will be given a spiritual body. Which will qualify us then to go and meet God in judgment. And then um, to be hopefully with Him throughout all eternity. They were not a little comforted. I want you to notice here that after the resurrection of Eutychus, that they went back up to that upper room. And the lamps and the lights are still burning. And Paul will continue to talk to them even till dawn the next day because he had so much he wanted to share with them. And what a night that must have been. What a night that must have been. He continued to talk to them. I wonder if somebody said, now Eutychus, stay away from that window. But they went back into that room and later they, they went away after Paul, Paul had to leave the next day. I wonder, I'm almost sure, that when we get to heaven, that Paul and Eutychus, wouldn't it be great to be able to sit there at the throne of God and listen to Paul and Eutychus talk about this very occasion in Troas. Won't that be great to be able to listen and talk to these Bible people forever and ever? One of the things that comes out in this meeting at Troas, of course, is Eutychus falling asleep. The Bible talks of sleep in two or three different ways. There is the final sleep, the sleep of death. The Bible talks about that. We're preparing for that. 
by studying, by obeying God, submitting to Him, we're preparing for that. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. There's a sleep that people are observing even as they live. That's, that's the sleep of, um, of apathy. That, that's the sleep of not paying close attention to the Lord. Romans 13, verse 11. Encouragement there is for Christians to wake up, for people to wake up. We can, we can be sleeping as far as our uh, focus on the Lord is concerned. Psalm 3, verse 5 talks about uh, just plain sleep, but it's a, it's a sleep of peace. It's physical sleep, but it's a sleep of peace. Psalm 3, verse 5 says, uh, the writer says, I, I laid myself down that night, and I slept, and I woke, for the Lord sustained me. You want to know how to get a better sleep, better sleep at night? That is to develop a strong, confident faith in the Lord. There's a sleep of peace, a sleep of apathy, the sleep of death. We can be ready to meet the Lord one day. If we will put away that sleep of apathy, enjoy that sleep of peace, and look forward to the time of meeting Him in the air one day so we can go home and be with Him. This meeting in Troas reminds us of how precious the Lord can be to us. And we invite you home to Him uh, today. It may be that as someone this morning heard about this great gospel plan of saving men from their sin through Jesus, it may be that that is on your very heart this morning. We invite you. You can be assured of this. There's no one that wants you to be saved more than the Lord. He loves you more than you could ever know. He's given His life for you. Will you please come right now as we stand together as we sing?